0: Good afternoon, and we're rolling into another episode of Voices from the Middle. I'm very excited to talk to a colleague I've not touched base with with for some time. Judy Zgorski is um, talking to her in Pennsylvania, and um, I'm going to let Judy introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her current job and how she got into HR in the first place. Judy?
1: Hey Michael, thanks so much for reaching out and inviting me to be a part of this podcast. Um, I'm currently the executive vice president of global human resources for Church and Dwight and that's a company that people may not be familiar with based on the name of the company but you'll certainly be familiar with our products such as Arm & Hammer and OxyClean and Batiste dry shampoo Uh, we are a diversified consumer products company um, and about 4 billion in size publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange I've been in this role for a little over three years, and prior to that, spent my career um, at a couple of companies that might be more familiar, BASF, the world's largest chemical company, and Mars Incorporated, the the snack foods and pet care company. I got into HR a little bit by accident. Um, I was a psychology major, and um, I was planning to get my doctorate, and... Become a a, you know private psychologist and my senior year I did an internship in clinical psychology and discovered that I liked it a whole lot better in the classroom than I did in practice (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah yeah, that's never happened to anyone else no right and uh, and so I had to scramble to find a job and I ended up um, starting out as a researcher in an executive search firm and uh, that was actually a tremendous experience because I got exposed to business people in a wide variety of industries. And that really kind of gave me the business bug. And so I went from there uh, to actually going onto the other side of the desk with one of my clients, which was uh, a division of Mars, and started out as a, as a recruiter and eventually worked my way into an HR business partner role and ultimately became the head of HR for the snack foods division, um, which is the largest division in the company. From there, I went to BASF and um, was the head of one of their largest subsidiaries, BASF Corporation. and then from there, I went to church in Dwight. So it's, it's you know, uh, uh, one of those combinations of luck and circumstance and an awful lot of hard work and sweat along the way.
0: And maybe some talent, too, thrown in there. So, okay, you can
1: say
0: that. <laughs> so you're at this point <laughs> now. <little> <laughs> exactly. So uh, you've obviously made the transition from your career journey has been successful, and you're really not in mid-level management anymore. But I want to ask you to kind of take take a look back and to see what kind of counsel or advice you can give to people who are a little bit earlier in their career um, uh, journey. Um, right. Yeah. So, Judy, what, first of all, how do people make the transition from being an individual contributor to being a manager?
1: You know, I think that's one of the toughest transitions there is um, because normally we promote people. From being an individual contributor to a manager, because they're a great performer, right? They do a really good job in in whatever area that that they're in, and so their first real experience managing people is on the job, and that was true for me as well. Um, and and it's a tough one because you know you're so used to getting rewarded for doing a good job at doing the work, and all of a sudden you're supposed to be managing other people doing the work. And for a lot of us, you know, it's, it's new territory. So, you know, figuring out how to spend your time um, and how to get the kind of results you want out of other people is, is a real challenge. Hmm.
0: D- did you know what was involved when you raised your hand and said, I want to be a manager, or did you just kind of get uh, appointed? Or how to, how to, did you know what was involved and how to get there?
1: so I had no idea. I think I was like a lot of people, right, <laughs> who, who you know, was, was sort of raised in, you know, the environment of, you know, work hard in school to get into the best college you can, work hard there to get into the best company you can, work hard there to get to the top, right, and I never really thought about why do I want to get to the top, uh, what's it like at the top, um, and you know, how do I get there? So, um, you know, the first person I managed was a woman in her sixties. Mm. I was probably in my early to mid twenties and she'd been working for a long time. She would raised a family. She'd seen a lot of life. And what did I know? Right. <laughs> and, and I'm, you know, and, and I have to admit, I was not the best manager in the beginning. Um, I was, you know, Young and I thought I knew everything and I wanted everything done exactly the way I would have done it Um, and I didn't realize at the time that there's lots of different ways to get results. And so I would say uh, the woman I managed was named Dot and Dot taught me more than I ever taught Dot Hmm. to say that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As you look at it now, uh, you know, with some distance and somebody were to ask you to be even more specific and they were to say, what are the key knowledge, skills and attributes necessary to make that transition? What what would you say?
1: Well, I think I think there's there's some basics. Right. And those basics are you you have to actually understand how the people processes work in your company. Right. So. You know you you may know how to get a job done um, but do you know how to create meaningful goals for someone that that makes it really clear to them what needs to be done and how it needs to be done Um, do you know how to monitor their work and manage the outcomes and the results and are you a skilled communicator you know which means you know how do you connect with that person and make sure they understand how their job connects to the larger organization. Um, you know, how do you give them some sense of purpose in their work um, by showing them how what they do is important and and why it's important to do it in a certain way. Um, so it's about delegating. It's about prioritizing. It's about uh, removing obstacles for people. Mm-hmm. Um which means you've got to also create connections with other managers um, because sometimes the obstacles aren't coming from your part of the organization and you don't control uh, what's getting in the way.
0: Right. Right. You know, when you and I met, I think you all were starting to work with a a model called the leadership pipeline. And uh, I, yeah. And I think we both have worked with that, but I I think tell us a little bit about how you found that to be useful uh, for yourself and others.
1: Yeah, I, so for me, that, that's a book that is still on my shelf, um, and I go back to it time and time again, because uh, what it does is it basically says, you know, um, leadership is a series of transitions, right? So you go from managing yourself, which is the individual contributor role, to being a manager of others, and, and that's what we've been talking about. Um, and then eventually you may become a manager of managers which is when you have to start to really focus on building a team so you've got to know what good management looks like so that you can identify select develop coach those people who are managing others Um, sometimes make a tough call when you've got a manager in your team who's not getting the best out of their people um, and then eventually you can progress to different levels of senior management where um, your job is much more of an organizational role than it is just a team or a people management role. So as you increase your scope and your scale, you have got to really be prepared to shift how you spend your time, what you focus on, um, and, and actually what you value in order to be effective.
0: Yeah, Judy, if you don't mind, I want to dig into this a little bit because uh, people recognize uh, the career transitions, the big ones, going from individual contributor, manager, and then later on to maybe an executive. But I think this, this transition between managing individual contributors and then managing managers is bigger than people think. And yes, uh, right. So it's really in, in corporate world, that'd be the difference between perhaps being a manager and a director. And I think that director level is a big, important job. And we don't spend enough time thinking about that. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're onto something. I I agree with you that um, I think when you when you you go from managing yourself to managing others, one or two people. Right. But then you go to managing a department right Mm -hmm. and and that's that director level and so all of a sudden for the first time you're responsible for a whole system yes you're responsible for all the aspects whether it's the 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 vision and the strategy to um you know how you set up the department to run um how you interface with other departments that are critical i mean i work in hr and and i spend an enormous amount of time Um, interacting with the finance and and the legal departments um, because so much of what we do is is interconnected so you know those are things that are that are you know going back to sort of where do you spend your time right you start to spend your time thinking about the whole and figuring out how to set up the management mechanisms that are going to get your department to to really be a high-performing team
0: yeah, and Judy, you know whether it's making the transition to uh, first-time manager or a director, it, we still, I think, too often just drop people in the deep end, or just assume that they're <laughs> going to be able to do this themselves. I, mean, I know that doesn't happen in, in your company, but in other companies you might see no. that. What, what's happened to management training? And I also, I want you to talk about we we talk about this distinction between leadership and management, and uh, yeah. it's one of my pet peeves. And, and I think we're giving short shrift to uh, good management. Uh, we we talk about leadership in capital letters and with uh, trumpets blaring, and then management is oh that's that piddly stuff that anybody can do, but it's not the case. And so, but so we, we just assume a lot of skills that people are going to be able to learn quickly. But so, what can we do to support people, and are we doing enough to to, to for training?
1: Well, there are a lot of questions in there. So, yeah, there were. Um- But I I agree with you that so I I, first of all, I'm a fundamental believer that leadership happens at all levels. I think individual contributors can be leaders. Yes. um, Not just of themselves. But, you know, particularly in today's world where we have very flat organizations, Mm -hmm. it's critical to have those um, those change champions in your organization who may not have formal leadership responsibility, but people follow them. Um, so I think that that's really important I, I I do think your point about dropping people into the deep end is is a good one um, you know 20 25 years ago um, was kind of the heyday of management training and development right we all know about you know GE and the legendary Crotonville and right. you know everyone was trying to mimic them by developing all of these <laughs> leadership academies right right, right. Um, and you know, not every company can or needs to do that much. Um, but on the other hand, I think management training has been an area where a lot of companies have have deinvested or under-invested, um, especially over the last 10 to 15 years because, you know, it's tough to get growth out there, right? Growth and profit are the goal of, of you know, companies and particularly public companies. And so you're always looking for, you know, where can you trim cost and HR is an overhead function. Um, And sometimes, you know, it's thought about as a nice to do, right? And so, you know, I think management, traditional management development has has been challenged. and the the assumption is that people just get it right. You either get it or you don't get it. Well, none of us were born knowing how to do this. Right. Um, and you know, you put somebody into the job, you think they can do it, you give them the basics and you know, it can take years for a problem to be obvious or, or to be a big enough deal that the organization decides to take action. Um, So I think the solution to that is, is I do believe, and I've seen it's possible to have what I call just in time and just enough training and development for leaders at all levels. Um, And I think it starts with, as a company, you have to be clear, what are your expectations for managers or leaders, whatever you decide to call them? We call them leaders. So we've developed three simple leadership expectations. Um, We basically say, being a leader, you know, we're paying you more. So let's start with that. That means you have more responsibility, you have new responsibility. And your responsibility is to our people, our purpose, and our work. And the part that most first-time managers know is how to get the work done. Um, But they don't necessarily know how to get people to get the work done. And so that goes back to you've got to know the basics of the people processes, you know, how to set goals, how to monitor and measure performance, how to coach and develop and reward people. Um, So we've developed some, you know, just-in-time training. So when anyone goes through leadership transition, um, we bring them together on, you know, a quarterly basis, and we get them in groups. So they see that they're not in it alone, they're not stupid because they don't know how to do this. We're all learning. Um, we bring in senior leaders to, to actually deliver a lot of the, of the, the content, um, as well as the HR business partners. Um, and we get them to work in small groups so that they can actually practice having some of those difficult conversations, for example. So that's when, when I say just in time and just enough. That, that's what I mean.
0: That's really interesting. You know, when you said that just in time and just enough, I thought, well, that, yeah, I understand that in terms of what I'll call technical training, i.e., mm-hmm. if you want to remind me or show me how to build a pivot table in Excel, maybe I have, there's a little, you know, quick tutorial. But when it comes to leadership, I think my, I, I'm kind of uh, surprised by your comments because I thought, oh, that takes a lot more time. That you can't do just little quickie, uh, uh, things like that. But you're saying, yeah, you can. Or, kind of push back on Well, me.
1: I, every every company culture is different right so so in some companies um, my, the last company I was with BASF right that's a that's an enormous company with a hundred thousand people and um, when you get to be a senior person there you you do go on these week-long leadership development programs where Um, you're, you're learning about inspirational leadership. You're learning about more of the nuanced things. Um, you know, I've been in companies that send people to the center for creative leadership and, and I don't take anything away from those programs. I think those programs are fabulous. Um, but I also believe that in your audience, there might be people in companies where that's just not possible. Right. Um, right. Either because culturally it's not appropriate, or they don't have the budget. So I want to encourage people to think about not what can't I do, but what can I do. Um, and and I often think we overlook the greatest resource we have in leadership development are our leaders. So you know, having leadership expectations, which says when you get to be a senior executive, you're expected to teach and coach and mentor and you're expected to spend a certain percentage of your time doing that. And you're gonna be evaluated on that. You're gonna be rewarded when you do it and you do it well. Um, that's important. Um, you don't have to bring in professors from Harvard. Um, you, you can supplement all of this, of course, with online training. There's some great content out there, um, especially in today's world. But I I do think that, you know, getting pods of people together to learn a new skill, practice that skill together, go back out into the work environment and live it is sometimes the most effective training method.
0: Hmm. No, that's a great point because you're right. A lot of uh, a lot of our listeners are from mid-sized companies and uh, they'd love to go to Center for Creative Leadership, but it's just not going to happen. Judy, I just want yeah, to
1: follow up. A lot of times those things are those are limited to the hypos, right? And and not all of our managers are hypos. You know, some of our managers are are just high performers or good performers or utility players. And so um, you know, I like to think about how do I get as many of my people managers to be as good as they can be.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, my last question about this is I know you said you take your senior leaders and have them uh, coach and mentor, et cetera. Do they, is there pushback yep. from them or do they, they they kind of expect it and they even find that they enjoy it? What's What's been your experience?
1: I think in any company, right, you, you have people who – love to do this and want to do this. Yeah. And then you have people who wish you would please leave them alone, right? Because they have (laughs) enough to do, right? I mean, there's there's no leader out there who has enough time to do everything that they need to do and want to do. So um I have found that you need to create the poll, right? So Um, you showcase a few of those leaders who love to do it and do it well right and they they start developing a following you know all of a sudden you see people posting out on Yammer or whatever your internal communications channel is you know this was awesome you know I learned so much from Steve Um, or you know thanks Joan for for you know reminding me what's important about people Um, we actually have a, a Yammer channel that's devoted just to leadership Um, where anyone can go on and, and share articles, talk about a big lesson that they learned, um, give a shout out to, to a manager who's done a great job or made them, you know, learn something or feel important. So there's a lot of organic ways that you can kind of develop that momentum. Um, now at the end of the day, if it's not important to your CEO, it's going to be an uphill slog. Um, but you know, most, you know, if you can get your CEO to teach, by the way, there's there's like nothing better, right? I mean, it's it's great for them because they get to connect with a level of the workforce they're not always exposed to, and it's obviously just tremendously exciting for the people in the program. Hmm.
0: Judy, what's your thought about as as we come back from this post COVID world? Um, what do you how do you think corporations are going to think about leadership and spending time in developing? managers and and good managers and good leaders. Uh, Do you think that they're going to be too busy getting back to work, or will they see the the importance of this? What are your thoughts?
1: That is a really, really interesting question. Um, I I do think that, you know, right now, um, CEOs and C-suite executives are, um, honestly, 24-7 thinking about how do we how do we protect and future-proof our organization, right? So it's everything from access to cash and making sure that liquidity is in good shape to um, Giving confidence to the market and to analysts that you know the company is is you know poised for um, To ride out this storm and to be successful on the other end, right? Those are big 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 responsibilities that have an impact on everyone in the company Um, that's how you create a company that you know can provide jobs for people going forward Um, those are really important things Um, most CEOs and C-suite leaders are also extremely concerned about keeping the workforce engaged and productive Mm -hmm. Um, most of the CHROs out there are talking about the the talent impact of this Um, You know, many people think that um, this has given people a lot of time to think about what's really important. Um, There may be less willingness to do anything the company asks you to do, um, like relocate, for example, um, when you've just had this lockdown, where if your children don't live near you, they can't get to you. Um, So those are the kinds of things that, and I think communications also, by the way, has, I mentioned this before, has Has become huge so do I think that CEOs have management development like in their top five of things to worry about right now no Um, do I think that the people agenda has gotten a lot more focus and prominence as a result of this crisis yes and I think that is gonna bode well um, for the development agenda going forward I think employee engagement, um, before the crisis, um, has become a huge topic in the boardroom. And in today's world, you have more transparency than ever. Um, You've got Glassdoor and all of these other ways that people can find out what it's really like inside the company. Um, Prospective employees look at it, but so do investors. Um, And so do, you know, potential activists. So um, if you want to keep you need to keep your finger on the pulse of the organization and CEOs get that Um, and nine times out of ten if there is a bad review out there it's about an experience that someone had with their direct supervisor and that is the best business case for why selecting and developing leaders at all levels is critical.
0: Do you think the, uh, that employees are going to, in this world as we come back again to the quote new normal, do you think the power dynamic is, is going to switch more to employees so that, you know, um, they're going to have more choices? They might be less engaged with the company. Uh, they, might be, they might not be willing to come back to even where they were working but will insist on, you know, working from home. What do you think about
1: that? I don't think we know yet, but I think everybody's talking about it. Um, so prior to the crisis, it was clear that the war for talent was actually happening. Um, talent is mobile, it's portable, um, and top talent is in really high demand. Um, skill sets are shifting, right? I mean, just try to be any company out there trying to hire data analytics people or cloud commu- computing people, right? right? I mean, there's only so many of them. Um, our educational systems haven't yet shifted to provide, you know, account for the supply demand shift. Um, so now you sort of put this crisis on top of it, right? And, and I think the best people will have a lot of power. I think there's a whole sector of the workforce, though, that probably feels very disempowered because they've been furloughed or laid off or lost their job. Yes. And so um, I actually think we might have like a bifurcated talent market for a while um, until things, you know, kind of get back to normal. Um, I've been impressed by what I've seen in the airlines and the hospitality and the food service industries are doing, though. They're trying to find ways. Um, if if they can't employ them, then they are trying to connect them to companies that can employ them, even if it's for a period of time.
0: Great. Judy, getting back to uh, the people that, again, find themselves on their career path, that I, they are uh, in the middle, uh, dealing with those complexities. Um, what's the biggest mistake you, you see people make? as mid-level managers?
1: Hmm. <laughs> uh, probably the the first one that you make is um, it's very hard to give up doing the work by yourself. Um, most of us get into the areas that we get into because we're really interested in it. Right. Um, and so, you know, I love doing, you know, I started my career in executive search. I love doing talent acquisition. Um I love doing you know talent development stuff right and and I don't get to do it anymore Um, so it's really hard to give up you know give up doing it yourself so micromanagement is I think the biggest risk for every level of leader Um, you know another one is is not being able to identify or select or assess the managers who can actually produce the standard of work that you and your company need and expect so it's no longer about again doing it. It's about how do I pick people who can, who can, right? And and you know the the more senior you get, probably the other big risk is that it's easy to become disconnected from the people who are a couple of levels below you, and to not really know what's going on. Um, or what the, what, the, what the vibe is in, in the area you're responsible for. Um, you know, that's why they say it's, the, you know, it's lonely at the top. Um, so you have to find a way to balance being hands-off with the work without becoming out of touch.
0: Absolutely. Not easy. Um, so, Not easy. <laughs> yeah, so looking back, and, and I'm going to ask you about the transition to senior level in a second, but so overall your advice to this group would be, be, would be what?
1: Well, I mean, I think there's there's lots of ways to prepare yourself for a management role before you actually have it, right? So, um, one of the biggest ways that that I've learned is, you know, just to observe what makes other people effective, either in the managers I've worked for, or the the people I work with, right? So, who are the most effective leaders? What do they do? Um, And then i just steal shamelessly and i (laughs) I implement some of those practices um there's nothing wrong with that right copying with pride Uh, but you also likewise have to remember what wasn't effective we we've all had a bad boss and and i have a list that i keep in my little notebook and every once in a while i take that out and sometimes i have caught myself doing some of those things that made someone I worked for previously a bad boss. And so it's good to check yourself on that from time to time. Sure. I also think there's a lot of ways just to step into leadership, even if you're not formally a leader, you know, you can ask for, um, to lead a project assignment or to be a team leader, um, and learn how to manage group work. You know, one of the things I love, um, I'm really happy to see in the education system, you know, both of my kids are in their twenties and, um, their entire college experience was about group work. Um, and I think that's great. I think that's prepared them for the world that, the world of work today.
0: Um, as people are successful in, in mid-level, uh, what should they consider if they're thinking about, I want to keep going. And I know here you are at a senior level position. What, 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 mm-hmm. what, what kind of advice would you or have them, what advice would you give? What would you have them think about?
1: Well, I, I think going back to sort of our leadership pipeline discussion, you know, you have to be conscious that that the next job is going to be fundamentally different. So as a senior leader, it's, it's less and less about what you do and way more about how you do it. So the more senior you get, the more it is about relationships. It's about collaboration and teamwork. It is not a solo act anymore. Um, the other thing to be aware of is frankly that you know the responsibility can be weighty and since the buck stops with you 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 need to be really sure you want that um yeah right i mean that is that is a that is a heavy burden to carry you carry it every day you don't get to set it down expectations are higher, the higher you go. And, and with that comes some level of sacrifice, you know, you, you got to, you know, it could be your time. It could be travel. It could be relocation, you know, depending on what you do and the company you do it in. And and that has to fit into your life plan. Um, the worst thing that happens is when people get to that stage and they realize it's actually not what they want. Um, (laughs) Yeah, And it's it's actually hard to go. It's hard to go back. Right. So, um, you know, ultimately, you know, I believe that your motivation has to be about building a team and an organization and getting the best out of other people, um, taking pride in others' achievements versus your own. Um, so you, you also have to have a lot of humility, um, you know, it's funny, um, you know, when you do get to, even the CEO has a boss, right? The board of directors sure. and the board of directors have shareholders. So there is no such thing as being in charge completely on your own. Um, the most senior roles are all about putting the company first and foremost in all things and being more externally focused and thinking about the future. And And if you're happiest doing something and getting it done, um then maybe, you know, maybe senior manager isn't for you and that's okay.
0: Yeah, that, that that requires people to take a hard and honest look and to really, you know, know about who they are and uh you know what's important to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Judy, I just want to wrap this up by asking you a couple more personal questions if I can, and you can say no of course, all right. So um but I, I wanted to ask you, uh what what advice would you give the younger Judy, if you were to look back on your career.
1: Well, I was really lucky. Um, I worked for someone a long time ago. You, you know her um, because I worked for her while I was at Mars. And uh, she gave me two pieces of great advice that I always share when I get this question. And, and the first one is be, think long and hard about what you put on the shelf and how much you price it at because we will buy as much as you're willing to sell. Hmm. And the second point was work is not life. Work is a part of life. So if you fast forward to, um, you know, when you're on your deathbed don't delude yourself that any of us are going to be around you. (laughs) Yeah. And that might sound like really harsh advice. um, But I think it was the right advice for someone like me who was a real, like high achiever, go getter early on, and maybe could have put, um, put my life out of balance if I hadn't really reflected on that.
0: Hmm. That's good. And, and Judy, my, my final question is, um, is the following. Uh, in the last few years, what new habit, uh, belief, or behavior has most improved your life?
1: Well, this is probably not going to sound unique um, because I think it's, it's a little bit of a trend. But, uh, and I was very skeptical about it at first. Um, but I have been working very hard on practicing mindfulness Hmm. Um, mindfulness is about staying grounded and present Um, and it is actually a very very effective way of getting perspective um, when you feel overwhelmed or you're under stress and I think for you know many people not just senior senior leaders sometimes everything that's on your plate can be a little overwhelming um, and it's pretty easy to spin out of control and either get nothing done or, or become hyper vigilant. So I find that mindfulness is actually a great way to sort of like reframe and refocus what's going on.
0: Yeah. Can I ask what practices you're doing? Are you doing yoga or meditation or?
1: <laughs> I am terrible at yoga and meditation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm worse than you. Don't worry. i got to be. What, what are you doing? But,
1: but. I, I, I do try to, um, I, I don't want to be an advertiser, but um, <laughs> um, I'm really, I'm really sort of into um, Thrive Global, um, Arianna Huffington's new company. Um, she puts out some great stuff and she talks about micro steps, right? So I may not be great at yoga or meditation, but I can probably find five minutes mm-hmm. to ground myself. Um, I also try to, uh, another practice, uh, another micro step I'm working on doing on a regular basis is before I go to sleep, putting down my phone, reflecting on my day, and listing all the things I have to be grateful for.
0: Ah, that's very good. We'll do that with the kids sometime, uh, you know, at dinner, like what, tell me one thing you're grateful for. It's a good practice.
1: It is a good practice. And, and, um, it might sound cheesy, but I would encourage everyone listening to try it.
0: Yeah, it's well said.
1: Especially in, with what's going on right now, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And yet there is a lot to be grateful for. <laughs> Judy, I really I really, exactly. really appreciate this conversation. I, um, there's a couple of things that you said I'm really going to go back and actually re-listen to uh, that had me think about things in a different way. So I really, uh, I really appreciate it. Are there any final words or comments you have for, uh, for the audience?
1: let's just let's just all stick together and and let's take every day as it comes and and just try to make this world a better place um i think i think that's one of the most important messages right now in this in this crisis i think if we all do that we're all going to be okay
0: wise words judy thanks so much
1: thank you it was great to reconnect thanks